You see how powerful Hannah's personality is? It just messes up our system. We can't even function well with that incredible personality. Where do you go, Hannah? Uh, actually, it was me. I had my mic on. I was standing too close to that mic, and I was causing the feedback. So I'm sorry. I apologize. I was just ready to jump up there and do the announcements if they needed me to. But So epic. God's saga. Whoop. Hey, can somebody run my glasses up to me? They feel like they're on my head, but they're not there because I wear them so much on top of my head. Thank you, wife. Thank you, Vanna. So, <laughs> uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. so God's saga through history. What we're trying to do with this series is draw the connection between the Old Testament and the incredible story, the incredible life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, connecting what went on in the Old Testament to what went on in the New Testament, and really what's going on still today. And so we're, we're trying to make that connection, because oftentimes people look at the Old Testament and they see it as kind of maybe some random stories, they're not, connect, not connected really well, and they don't quite get how it is that it impacts the New Testament, how it impacts today. And I want to I wanna wrap this series within this context, within this phrase um, or summary, because I think this truly captures not just the Old Testament, but what God is doing throughout all of eternity. And it's this. The epic saga of God's work is to restore man's relationship with him, and through that relationship, bless others. So the epic saga is all about God restoring the relationship that was lost at, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and not just to restore that relationship with individuals, but to then bless other individuals with that same relationship. That's hap- that was happening at creation, it happened after the fall, and it's happening throughout all of Scripture and even to today. In that, there's a cycle that I, that I have been thinking about and that we're going to see happening as we look through different individuals of the Old Testament. And it's this. God gives a command. Man disobeys. Again, we're talking about Adam and Eve. Man has made the choice and makes the choice every time he disobeys, to not just disobey, but to say, I want to be God of my life. I want to be responsible for what is good and what's evil, and I will determine what that is for my life. And then God brings judgment. Because God knows that the best thing for all mankind is a relationship with him. So he brings judgment, kind of resetting everything. Then he initiates a relationship with somebody, And through that relationship, he wants to then bless everybody who's in that person's path with that same relationship. As you read scripture, you'll see that happens time and time again. And it's happening in the Old Testament. And if we miss that, we miss everything that's in scripture. We miss the purpose of Jesus Christ dying on the cross and we miss the purpose for why we have been saved by God. And so that's a key element for us to get that it's all about God working 
to restore the relationship with man in order to bless others with it. We see with Adam, we, we saw it um, with, with Noah, even though we only heard a little bit about Anybody go home and finish up that message that was on the big screen? Somebody did? Nobody did. Okay, so maybe the gas fumes were getting to you. If you weren't here last week, we had a tiny gas leak, and um, so it was in the back in the hall there, and we got it turned off. Everybody was fine, but for safety's sake, we asked people to go ahead and, and leave, so it was halfway through the message. Um, Kevin's fine. He, he forgives us all. Um, but we see this most clearly starting with, with Abram, Abraham. First he's called Abram, then he becomes, God renames him Abraham. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 12, it's page 11 in the chair Bible that you have there in front of you, if you're using that. Uh, if you don't have one and want one, there's some on the back table, those little pallet tables, uh, if you want to use that. As you're doing that, I want to give you some interesting um, facts from Noah's time until Abraham's time, and you can kind of see it on here. I tried to blow it up, so hopefully you can see it. But there's some interesting facts um, that are shown. Oh, thank you. That works even better. Now I can't read my notes. Just kidding. I'm fine. You'll notice one thing on here is that the lifespan of human beings began to decrease. Noah lived to be 950 years old. I mean, you talk about living to a ripe old age, right? 950. But if you come down here to uh, Terah, Abraham, so it's the second one from the bottom, Terah, Abraham's father, he only lived 205 years, and Abraham only lived 175 years. What that is, what that's showing us, is the impact that sin had on nature, on our genetics, on our immune system, that sin continued to destroy mankind, and of course then eventually man died physically, okay, uh, because of, of sin. Uh, another thing, I'm going to take my notes with me. Another thing is, um, oh yeah, Abraham's great times eight, that rhymes, grandfather was Shem, so if he did nine it would be Noah. Um, and here's the cool thing about that. And I don't know if you can kind of see it, but you see on the top, Noah, he lived to 2006 B.C., is what they're saying. Um, and if you, there's a white line that goes all the way down here. Look at that. Abraham and Noah lived at the same time. Because Abraham or Noah lived to 950 years. Okay? So they say that about 30 to 40 years of Abram's life, Noah was alive. And what's interesting is that when they left the ark, they traveled east, southeast, to um, the, the plains of Shinar, to Ur the Chaldeans, which is in Iraq, present-day Iraq. And where, again, we've talked about this whole thing, God commands, man says no, he disobeys. So God says, leave the ark, go, multiply, fill the earth. Man says no, we got a better idea. We're going to go down to this beautiful plain area where we can all live. And we're going to build a city. And, we're gonna, and it's going to be a great city, and we're going to build a tower. And it's going to be a great tower, it's going to reach the heavens. We're going to make a great name for ourselves. 
You notice what's happening there? They don't want to make a great name for God. They want to make a great name for themselves. So Noah lives 950 years old. He's living at the time of the Tower of Babel. He's living at the time, most likely, at the confusion of the languages. Which, by the way, when the languages were confused, that's how we have the languages that we have today, or the start of the languages that we have today. But it's also how, how we have the genetic differences, or um, really the physical characteristic differences between the races. Because when you take the, the pool of genetics, the DNA, the gene pool, and you divide it up, whatever was dominant and recessive in that big pocket, Tower of Babel, City of Babel, when you split that up, now the dominant recessive genes can change as to what's dominant and what's recessive. So you have light-colored pigment, you have dark-colored pigment, you have round eyes, you have more slanted eyes, you have beautiful blonde hair. And uh, I did at one time. Um, and so, and, and also just one other kind of interesting thing with this, is that some people did some um, birth rates. And depending on what the birth rate was, and again, this is all speculation, but the birth rate was probably, um, could be better maybe than we had today, maybe not, who knows. But they lived a lot longer, so they're having kids a lot longer. So they're saying that by the time the Tower of Babel was being built, there could have been anywhere between 35,000 people on the earth to 920,000 people. So, and depending on that, you know, Noah may have had a conversation with Abram. Don't know. But certainly, you know, Abram could have had a conversation with Shem. I don't know how much they interacted. Um, but I'm sure everybody knew who Noah was and everybody knew who Shem was. And, and I'm not sure what kind of impact they had for God. Because obviously man looks like he's moving quickly away from God again. But again, the, the connection is God commanded, man disobeyed, and they stayed. God confuses the languages, but then he initiates a relationship with Abram, and through that relationship says, I'm going to bless the world. So Adam, Eve, Cain, Noah's descendants, evidently they're choosing to say no to God. And then God judges them with confusing the languages. And so then Terah, at the confusing of the languages, packs up his family, which includes Abram, and 11, chapter 11 at the end says, and they moved towards, they went towards Canaan. Now, Canaan hadn't been developed yet, because the people hadn't moved that far yet. But it was in that direction. They were moving west, towards the direction of what would become Canaan, and they stopped in a place called Haran. And that's where they set up shop. So they didn't continue to spread out. You know, they stopped. And Terah dies. And that's where we pick up the story with God initiating a relationship with Abram, who we understand was not a follower of God. Okay? Terah, according to Joshua 24, Joshua tells us that Terah, he and his descendants, or his family, were worshipers of other gods. So Noah and Shem and the other brothers lost impact 
uh, didn't have the effect on people to turn to God like I'm sure God would have liked to have seen happen. Terah is not worshiping God at this point. Abraham's not worshiping God at this point. But what does God do? He's going to restore the relationship by initiating a relationship with Abram. And that relationship he's going to use to restore and bless the rest of the world. So let's read Genesis 12. We're going to read 1 through 9. And it says this. The Lord taps Abram on the shoulder. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. In, in Babel, Babel, what do you want to call it? They wanted to make their own name great. God's saying, I will make your name great. God's always the one who exalts people. And if you read through scripture, he exalts those who are humble, those who are faithful, those who are obedient to his plan. Because I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, his nephew. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed Haran. Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired to Her- uh, in Haran, and they set off for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Now again, these places, Israel is reading this, remember, before they go into the land. Moses is writing this for Israel's sake. They're going to go into the land, and they're going to see these places. In, in Genesis 12, they hadn't been created yet, because people had not made it all the way over there yet. Okay, So he's just giving them identification markers, landmarks, so that they, when they go in, they know that the land that they're walking into, God promised not to them, but to Abraham 400 and some years earlier. So Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was, was then in the land, so they had moved, they were there. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham journeyed on, continuing through Negev. And so he's moving around this land that God's going to give him. So how does Abram move God's epic along? How, do we, how does his life and his relationship with God connect with Jesus Christ and with us today? There's two ways that we're going to look at. One's in Genesis 12, one's in Genesis 15. The first one is this. Is that the, it's the creation of a new nation. All right? So, why is this important? Well, because in Genesis 3.15, God said to Eve and Adam... Uh, and to the serpent as well, that there was going to be an offspring of Eve who would crush Satan's head. And so that means there's going to be a human being. Well, human beings come from nations, right? Or we form nations, right? And so God's looking at all the nations that currently exist on the earth, 
And he's like, that's not going to work because they're not following me. I've come to Abraham. Abraham's saying, I'm on board with this. And so from Abraham, a new nation is going to be created. And within that nation, I'm going to bring the one who's going to crush the head of Satan. And so Abraham's on board with it. He goes along with it. And let me get to my next page here, make sure, so I don't frustrate Hagen back there. And so this is going to become a great nation. I was about to work ahead of myself. I'm kind of excited about this message this morning, so I'm working a little bit ahead of myself. So this is the blessing God is promising, that there's going to be a great name and a great nation. Well, what makes this nation so great? Well, first one, I just mentioned, it has a great mission. That this nation is going to be great because it's going to bring to this earth, at some point in Abraham's future, one who is going to crush the head of Satan, one who's going to free man from Satan, from sin, from hell. And that's a great thing. I mean, wouldn't that be great if the Lord said to us, hey, United States, you're going to be the nation through which I'm going to bring a Savior. I mean, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Well, he chose Abram and the nation that came from him. But it's also great in its physical size, its earthly size. There have been multiple millions of Jewish people who have lived on this earth and who continue to do so. The nation of Israel, though spread out so often in its history, there have been a lot of people who have lived on this earth who are of Jewish origin. But here's another way it makes it great, is because of its spiritual descendants. The Bible makes it very clear that it's not just the Jewish people who God sees as children of Abraham, but it's people of faith. People who have placed their faith in God's plan for salvation are people who God sees and says, these are children, offspring of Abraham. Galatians 3, 6-9 says, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned or credited to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith, who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Israel, as we'll see as we go forward in this series, Israel, once again, like every other nation, says, You know, listen, we got a better way of doing this. You say for us to go and bless the nations, what does Israel do? Israel says salvation is not through faith in God. Salvation is through this law of Moses that he gave us. And then it says, not only that, but we're not going to go even interact with the Gentiles. Gentiles meaning wild dogs. And so, (laughs) here's God's own people saying, hey, listen, we're going to determine for us what's right and wrong. We're going to be the God of our lives. We're going to take what you've given us, and we're going to change its purpose for why you gave it to us. And not only that, we're going to change your purpose for why we even exist. And we're going to look at the Gentiles as enemies and as people we don't want to even be around. And if, like Jonah, we talked about in the past here, he sat up on a hill just waiting for God to destroy Nineveh. He was excited. You know, hopefully the Lord will destroy the enemies. However, that's not what God's plan was for Israel. That's not what God's plan is for us. 
God had already given the definition of salvation, which we're going to be talking about. And the definition of salvation is not through law, it's through faith in what God is going to do. And they were supposed to take that definition of faith and they were supposed to impact their world for Christ. And God initiated a relationship not only for, for Abram and for his descendants, but to bless the whole world. Abraham had Isaac. We're going to talk briefly about him next week. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah, the fourth son, was put in charge of all of Jacob's uh, family. The oldest is supposed to, but things happened, and so Jacob became, or Judah became the oldest in the sense of responsibility. And which tribe did Jesus come through? The tribe of Judah. And so here, there's that connection that through Abraham's offspring came the very tribe that Jesus Christ came from. Jesus Christ, God the Son, fully God, fully man, who would then bless the world because the whole message of salvation was not just for Israel, but for the entire world. Jesus Christ, a Jew, by human side, God, divinity, dies on the cross and makes a way for us to be saved, a way for us to be free of our sin, crushing Satan's head. That brings us to the second, probably greatest way Abraham moves the epic saga along, and that is he gives us, like I said, the definition for salvation. And it's found in Genesis 15. So let's read Genesis 15. We're just going to read uh, 1 through 6. It says this, After these things, so now several years later, some things have gone on. Uh, God's actually restated at least one other time his promise uh, to Abram. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. I'm going to protect you. Your reward, talking about everything he's talked about, shall be very great. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And a slave was his heir at this point. He had no children. And Abraham said, Since you have given, me, given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Makes sense, right? Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him aside, or outside, and said, Now look toward the heavens, and count the stars, and if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And remember, not just physical descendants, but spiritual descendants, according to Galatians. Now he believed in the Lord. This is it. This is key. Then he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, reckoned it to him as righteousness. So this is huge. God is telling Abraham, before Israel is ever on the, on the earth as a nation, and he's telling Abraham, and he's telling his descendants, he's telling Israel, and he's telling us today, that if you want to be right with God, if you want to know that you're right with God, you have a relationship with God, it needs to be by faith, in 
the person, who God is, and what it is he's doing. Notice there's nothing here about anything that Abraham has done to this point. He's been very faithful to this point. Yeah, he had a little bit of a problem in Egypt. If you remember, he's going to have a few more problems down the road, like the next chapter. Um, He's going to help. He and Sarah are going to help God along with this whole promise, which we'll talk about next week. But it's God who is the one who reckons or credits or declares someone right with him. And it's God who declared that Abraham believed in the Lord and in that found to be righteous. What does it mean to believe in the Lord? Notice, Abraham's rightness with God was not based on anything he did. Any religious stuff that he had done, and there had to be some sort of religious stuff that they were doing back then. We can look back on it and see. It had nothing to do with that. It had nothing to do with his faithfulness. It had everything to do with the fact that he believed who God was. The, Lord, the word Lord there is capitalized, uh, and it, it means Yahweh, and it's God's personal name that he gives to people who are in a personal relationship with him. And so it's this personal relationship with God. He tells Israel, when we look at Moses, we'll talk about this, that when Moses was, when God initiated a relationship with Moses to bless Israel with salvation from Egypt, he said, it's Yahweh, I am. This personal relationship. Abraham believed, he put his full weight of trust on, in who God was. This good, gracious, all-powerful, all-knowing God who had a plan to bless the world. And what was the promise? What was this great reward based on? The promise was for a son through whom the nation would come, including a blessing for all nations of the world. But look what Hebrews says about Abraham and all those who actually came before him as it pertains to the great reward, this blessing for all nations. This is... It's so, um, tell you, if you don't know the Old Testament, the New Testament doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, as they call it, said this. All these, and he's talking about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, their hope was in God for something that was in the distance. All right? This is cool stuff. And having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, not just in Canaan, but in the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country, or not seeking a country of their make clear they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But they didn't. Why? But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What Genesis 12 and 15 doesn't tell us, and Hebrews 11 does tell us, is that God declared Abram right with him, in relationship with him, because Abram believed that it wasn't just going to be that he was going to have Isaac, the son, and have a nation called Israel that was going to be in captivity and release, and at some time down the road, there would be some other person who would crush the head, but that, that the person who was crushing the head of Satan was an offspring of Abraham, and that that was going to be God in the flesh saving mankind. 
Abram knew the full story. He, he got the full story. So they're not just looking for an earthly fulfillment of the promise, but they were looking for a spiritual, heavenly fulfillment. Those who were living before Jesus Christ looked forward to the Savior, this Messiah, this one who was going to come and save all of mankind, not just Israel. And they knew that, and they were looking forward to it. Those of us who have lived since Jesus Christ, we look back at Jesus Christ, and we say, he's the one who came. And when Jesus died, he was on the cross, remember he says to the, the, the thief who believes in him, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. And what he's saying is that, real quickly, there's a theory in the Old Testament prior to Christ, the, 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 um, the souls of the dead went to Hades or Sheol, and in Hades and Sheol there's two, two parts, for those who did not follow after God and those who trusted in God. And those entrusted in God, Ephesians 4 says, when Jesus died, then he ascended and he led captive a host of captives. What he's talking about is those that were followers of God who were living in this, we call it a holding place, you want to call it that, but it's paradise, it's a place of, for souls, and again, it's not operating within time, so they're clueless in what happens with time, that God took them and brought them to heaven. Because even though they had put their faith in Christ, or put their faith in a coming Messiah, in God's plan, Christ hadn't died yet, so they couldn't go into God's presence. But when Christ died and rose again, now he was able to save them in that sense and allow them to be in God's presence. And so we who look back, we don't have to have that holding place. When we die, if we're in faith in Christ, we get to go directly into God's presence. Then Abraham, Abraham asked, how can they know for sure that this is going to happen? Okay, now get this. This is good stuff. How do, how do I know for sure you're going to make that all happen? The earthly promise, the heavenly promise, how's that going to happen? We're not going to read it for sake of time, but you can read it when you get home. God tells Abraham, hey, grab some animals, the big ones split in half, lay them from each side of each other. And what happens is back in the day, if Abram was having, making a contract with another human being, they would do that, and they would walk between the two sets of halves, and in this case, um, later on there was birds and stuff. And so they walked between them, and they would say, basically, I'm contracting with you that I'm going to have my, I'll do my part. You contract with me that you're going to do my, your part. And if any one of us screws up, that's what's going to happen to us. <laughs> okay? That's what's happening. But if you read on, you'll find out that God had Abraham do that, and then he puts Abraham to sleep. And God walks through that, saying this, I'm going to fulfill this promise based solely on who I am. So there's nothing Abram can do. Abram didn't walk through that with God. Abram was asleep. And what God is saying is, Abram, you can't do anything to accomplish what's going to happen in the future. I'm promising that I'm going to make that happen. Abraham knows he's not just talking about an earthly fulfillment. He's talking about a heavenly fulfillment, a spiritual fulfillment. And that's the truth still today. That God says, I'm going to make that promise happen. And how did he do that? He put on flesh, he lived on this earth, he died an excruciating death, 
an eternal death for each one of us, and then rose again and defeated that. You guys, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation. It's completely something God does, and then we do this. I believe I'm putting my full weight of trust in who you are, God, the all-powerful, all-knowing God, and the work that you've done. Jesus Christ, God the Son, dying on a cross. Again, Abraham looking to the future, believing that. He may not have known all the details, we don't know, but he knew, evidently, according to Galatians, what happened. Look what Galatians 3 says. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I'm saying is this, the law, because he's dealing with people who are saying the law is what saves them, religious rituals what saves them. He's saying the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant, a contract, a promise previously ratified by God, so as to nullify the promise. For in the inheritance, for if the inheritance is based on a law, it is no longer based on a promise, but, a, but God has granted to Abraham by means of a promise. God promised that salvation was based by in faith, based on uh, faith in Him, not on the law, not on a religious ritual, not on anything that came later. It was always based on what, who God was and what God was doing to save mankind. And the seed who would fulfill the promise of heaven was Jesus Christ, is what Paul tells us, tying it all together for us. And again, only God can die an eternal death and crush Satan's head. So what's the takeaway from Abraham this morning? Simply this. And this is going to be ringing in your ears by the time we're done with this. That God continues to initiate a relationship with mankind, with individuals, in order to restore the relationship, and through that relationship, bless others with that relationship. It's been that way since the moment he created Adam and Eve, when he initiated that relationship. It was always about created him in the image of God, to have a relationship with God, to fill the earth, to represent him to the world, to bless the world, to bless what God has created they sinned. They chose not to go. Cain went and built a city. Noah's descendants went and built a city. Israel went into the land and stayed there. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have left the land. What I'm saying is that they chose to stay in the land and not impact the Gentile world. They would not even associate with them. They would be careful as they walked through the the market, in case they rubbed against up against a sinful Jew, not to, if they touched a Gentile, there was a bunch of whole spiritual cleaning stuff that had to go on. They wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. The first century church stopped. Jesus said, go. The first century church says, nah, we're going to stay in Jerusalem. So what did God do? Persecution. Getting ahead of myself. I'll get there. So the question this morning is, 
Have you come to a place in your life where you've believed in the Lord, in Jesus Christ? Come to a place in your life where you say, you know, I, I, I get it. I can't be saved on my own. I can't get rid of my sin on my own. I can't go to heaven on my own. I get it. Jesus Christ is who God had promised from Genesis 3.15. And I believe it, and I get it. I'm trusting fully in God and his ability to save me through faith in Christ. And if that's the case, you just simply need to tell God that and just say, I believe. Abram believed, and God said, then you're right with me. And you simply need to tell God, I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. Forgive me of my sins, but I'm trusting in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. Have that conversation with God. You don't need me to even do that for you. Abraham didn't. God will make that clear to you if you need to make that decision. Uh, and I'm, I'm here for you too if you want to have a conversation about it, but I'm telling you, if you know you need to do that, and, and you will if you need to, then just have that conversation with God. But if you have, then God and Jesus have given us the responsibility that through that relationship that we have is not to be hoarded. Anytime we hoard the relationship with God, God will do something so that we move out of that and then use that and share that with others. Like I said, Israel was stuck in the land and hated the Gentile nations. The first century church, Jerusalem, they stayed in Jerusalem. So what does God do? This is kind of interesting. So God grabs this guy Saul to persecute the church. The church scatters. Peter, for instance, first and second Peter, was written to the dispersion, to the Christians who had dispersed out of Jerusalem. Now God's saying, I want you to go. I want you to, to fill the earth. I want you to represent me. So they did. Then he takes Saul, the guy who persecuted church, and he initiates a relationship with them and says, now you go to those that Israel won't go to, the Gentiles, and share this message with them. Paul connects with Abram completely. Abram worshipped other gods. Saul worshipped a god that they created. They thought it was the god of the Bible, but they created a different god through Judaism, and he was worshiping that God until God tapped him on his shoulder and said, hey, I'm, I am, I'm the God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his forefathers. And now the church is dispersed. Now the church obeys what Jesus said to do and go. You guys, listen. I know I pound this a lot, but... You and I, in our lives, we have people who don't know Jesus Christ. We have people who, if they were to die today, would spend eternity in hell. And Jesus has told us, go and make disciples. As you're living life, represent me to those in your life who need me. I've given you spiritual life, not for you to hoard it, but for you to Give it to others, to show others who Christ is, that you would be a blessing to those in your lives. So, however you guys do that in your life, you need to do it. However I do it in my life, I need to do it. And so I try to make contact with my neighbors, and I try to have conversations with my neighbors, and I'm 
building a relationship with my neighbors in order to somehow or another and asking God, how do I have this connection? But we've also given you some tools. Invite people to church, to our services, to our ministries. Fuse for the, the high school, middle school, high school age. Young adults for singles. Women's Bible study. You know, we're, we still got, we're still working on the whole men's thing. You know, we're always kind of a little slow. The men are they're always a little slow on things. But invite them to church. Have them come here. And if we need to do some things different on Sunday morning to make it, you know, something you'd be like, you know, Harold, if you did this, maybe my friends might come. I heard a church who was doing worship and waffles. I love that idea. I don't know about you guys, but man, can you, can you imagine? Yes. Can you imagine we have some waffle irons in the back, right along that back wall, and we're, we're smelling waffles, and we're eating them? I'm eating them while I'm talking. I would love that. I just... Anyways, we have the Northwood Fall Festival coming up this Saturday. And some of you guys have already signed up. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for doing that. To work our booth, to set up, to clean up. That's all part of it. It's all part of representing. Get your Grace Point shirt on. If you don't have one, let us know. We'll get you one. But also, Northwood is looking for help to volunteer for the festival itself. So like I told you, I'm going to be at the car show. So I'm going to be registering cars. I won't be at our booth, sorry, but I'll be registering cars. I'll have my Grace Point shirt on, and I just want to meet people because I don't know people in Northwood. I'm new enough that I don't know people. They, had, they just sent out a thing, and I put it up on our Facebook page. They're looking for more help. Party at the Point. Next Sunday, 10.30 to noon. We're not going to be meeting here. We're meeting outside, so we're getting that all set up, tent, chairs, all that kind of stuff. Sound system outside. Anyways, it's going to be a party. We're going to have games. We're going to have food. I'll, Kim said to keep it short, so I'll keep it short as much as I can. But invite friends. That's, that's getting a taste of who we are. It's going to be fun. At least, you know, I hope it's fun. Well, it's be fun. And then a lot of ladies' spa night. Here are some tools coming up. So ladies, have some women come to the ladies' spa night. It's seven bucks now. It was five, but seven bucks. So here's the deal. Say to the person that you're going to invite, I'll pay for you. Pay for them to come. Make it a, make it a thing. That, oh, man, that's very nice of you. Okay, I'll come. Let's sign up. Be a part of that. Come check it out. Ask him and Renee and Mary about what it is. And then I also want to say this. One, I appreciate all those who are helping with all this. But I wanted to just say a special thank you to, to Mary Munz, Renee Hart, and my wife, Kim. Because when we were doing, figuring out all this, they said, hey, I think it would be great if we just tie them, tie them all together. And so they took it upon themselves to make sure all three of those things were happening. And so that's been a huge job for them. They meet every other Wednesday, have been for several months, almost a year, I think, getting a lot of this stuff planned. So I just want to make sure you guys understand they've put in a bunch of work, and I appreciate that. But all of this is part of that. And so we provide an opportunity for you guys to invite friends, to be a part of it, make it easy on yourself and have them come to church, one of our events, one of our activities. Let's go ahead and stand. We're closing prayer.